0: Our reading this afternoon is from Luke 10, 38 through 42. This is what Holy Scripture says. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm David, I'm one of the pastors here at King's Church, and this afternoon, I wanna begin with a couple of questions. Are you distracted? Is your life marked by an inability to focus or concentrate? Do you feel scattered and just feel like you being pulled in many different directions? Do you find yourself constantly checking your phone? If you answered yes to any of those questions, welcome to life in our modern world. There's never been a time where humanity has had such easy access to various forms of entertainment, YouTube, streaming services. I know there's a big competition going on right now with Disney Plus and Apple TV and all these different things and other distractions such as social media. All we do is have to pick up our smartphones, which instantly unlocks with either our fingerprint and now even our face, and click one app, and voila, let the binge-watching begin. In contrast, I still remember the days of the 56K modem. Getting on the Internet was no small feat. Kids, you can ask your parents to tell you about what it was like. You would hear the dialing, the strange beeps and noises that sounded like a dying robot, and then you would wait for a web page to load. A sixth of a page would appear, and then another 10 seconds, another sixth would appear. But nowadays, we're instantly and always connected to games, to movies, to sports scores, which leads to more distractions. Apple phones now have the screen time feature, which gives you different statistics on your smartphone usage. And one of the numbers they track is the number of times you pick up your phone in one day. I was shocked to see that on average, I picked up my phone 52 times a day. Now, I don't know if that's a good number or a bad number. You can encourage me afterwards if that's a low number and you cannot tell me if it's a bad number. Um, But the mere fact that I picked up my phone, probably compulsively, 52 times a day, meant that I was being distracted from whatever I was doing to look at something on my phone. And people are beginning to realize that our culture of distraction is a problem. Because just listen to some of the self-help books that have been published in the last five years. Focus, the hidden driver of excellence by Daniel Goleman. And not to be outdone by focus, we have hyper-focus, how to be more productive in a world of distraction by Chris Bailey. We have indistractable How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life by Nir L. And we have Deep Work, Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World by Cal Newport. I actually read that book, and I found it helpful, though putting it into practice has been a little more challenging. And also by Cal Newport, Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World. Just, Just a survey of these titles gives you a sense that this is This is an issue in our culture. And I know for a fact that these books are popular because I actually have a hold request for digital minimalism at the Long Beach Public Library, which is now going on two months, and there are four people waiting in line behind me. So, it's a problem. But what is a distraction, really? We can all agree that a viral video on YouTube is a distraction, but what about other things in our life that are not smartphone or internet-related? Merriam-Webster defines distraction as an object that directs one's attention away from something else. And that's a fine definition, but given the way we typically talk about distractions, I do think something is missing. And what's missing is the idea of importance. Distractions are distractions because they draw our attention not just away from something else, but from what's more important from something important in our lives. When we check Facebook in the office, which I am guilty of, and I know most of you probably are too, unless it's blocked, we are being distracted from our work, which is more important than what's happening on our Facebook feed. When our minds wander, when our spouse or a significant other is talking to us, we're being distracted from opportunities to build intimacy and relationship with the most important person In our life, which is surely more important than whatever we're thinking about in the moment. So what should be important in your life? Our priorities in our life are linked to our identities. If you're an Instagram employee who focuses on user experience, you're one of the few people in the world who should be spending a lot of time and a lot of your waking hours on Instagram. If you're a father. Your child or children should be a priority in your life. But what if you're a disciple of Christ? What should be most important to someone who follows Jesus? And how should that shift our perspective on what then is a distraction? Our passage today, Luke 38 through 42, addresses these very questions, challenging us, reminding us, encouraging us to choose the good portion. To choose the presence and word of Christ above all the other things in our life that cry out for our attention. Jesus is better. And we are challenged, reminded, and encouraged to choose the good portion by looking at two contrasting ways to live, as seen in the action of two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha shows us one way to live, which is my first point a life distracted. By many matters. One way to live is a life distracted by many matters. Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke 10, 38 through 42. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Luke sets the scene by beginning with, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Now, last week we learned that Jesus had just finished telling telling a lawyer or debating with a lawyer the parable of the Good Samaritan, and what it means that someone is your neighbor. And we don't know exactly where that took place, but we do know that Jesus is now continuing on his travels, and he arrives at a village. Luke doesn't mention the name of the village, but from the other Gospels, we know that the name of this village is called Bethany. And continuing in verse 38, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, we are going to look at Martha in somewhat of a negative light, but let's also see Martha's positive qualities for a second. Jesus quite possibly had a large entourage. He had at least 12 other disciples, and maybe, you know, their wives or other people were with them. And so for Martha to welcome Jesus into her home was no small undertaking. She had a hospitable heart, and we'll see in a second. She also had a servant's heart both of which should characterize someone who follows Jesus Christ. And in verse 39, we're introduced to her sister Mary, who, quote, sat at her Lord's feet, sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So far, so good. There doesn't seem to be any problems with the situation until we get to the next verse. Verse 40, But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, Martha was busy with all the responsibilities that come with being a host to probably a large group of people. Though the text doesn't say she was likely busy preparing a meal, cooking, cleaning, dashing about to get everything ready, everything perfect. And probably a lot of you can relate with Thanksgiving just around the corner. Now, it's important to note that the act of serving itself wasn't the problem. We know this because the Greek word used for serving in other parts of Luke is seen very positively. For example, in Luke 22, the disciples are arguing over their favorite question, who out of themselves would be the greatest in in God's kingdom? And Jesus tells them in verses 26 through 27 in Luke 22, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at, the ta- at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus compares himself. Jesus repeatedly throughout the Gospels calls himself a servant. The son of man did not come to be served but to serve. So service is, is, always, is generally seen in a very positive light. So the service, Martha's service itself was not the issue. And not only that, many Bible scholars commenting on this text have pointed out that this text, this passage, comes directly after the parable of the Good Samaritan, which calls us to love our neighbor as God has loved us. Compassionate service to others is a mark of a disciple. So Martha's service in and of itself was not the issue. What is an issue is that Martha was distracted with her serving. Her attention had been directed away from that of greatest importance— Jesus' presence and his word to lesser things, to tasks related to being a good host. And isn't that where we find ourselves? Most of us are not distracted by the obviously bad things, like robbing banks or dealing drugs. Our most problematic distractions are actually not the easy ones to pick on, such as smartphone usage or entertainment. Our most problematic distractions are usually very good things. In Martha's case, it was being a good hostess, even being a good servant of Jesus, in some sense doing the work of ministry, but it wasn't the most important thing. What are your distractions? What good things are distracting you from Christ? What occupies your thoughts? What, what is always occupying your soul? And do you even realize that you are being distracted? The Greek word is literally pulled away. Do you realize you're being pulled away from the most important thing? We can recognize that we are living a life distracted by many matters, by how it affects us, just as it affected Martha. Continuing in verse 40, And Martha and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. One effect we see is that life becomes about ourselves. For Martha is no longer about serving others, but it's actually about others serving her agenda. Instead of seeing how she can serve her sister and her honored guest, She demands that they serve her. Jesus needs to tell Mary to get up and start working. And Mary better roll up her sleeves and get her hands dirty to prepare food. This passage gives us an opportunity to examine our hearts. Is your service, is your hustle and bustle somehow become about yourself? Another effect is that our view of God becomes distorted. There's great irony In that Martha addresses Jesus as Lord, a title that speaks to his control, his care, his status and power as our loving king. Those who recognize Jesus as Lord ought to be seeking his kingdom, his plans, listening to him and doing what he says. And yet it's all been flipped on its head. Martha calls him Lord, but then is frustrated with him, questions his actions and tells him what to do. Martha has been distracted pulled away from our Lord, concerned with her serving in many things so that she has trouble seeing who he is. She has trouble remembering who it is that stands before her. Is this you today? Do you call Jesus Lord with your lips, but inwardly you're frustrated with his lack of care, that he's not meeting your needs and helping you with your plans? If so, your view of him has become distorted You're no longer recognizing that to follow Jesus means that life is not about you. You've forgotten that he's the king, and not only that he's the king, but he's the good king. A third effect of a life distracted by many matters is seen in verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. When we are distracted and drawn away from Jesus by serving, by business, by the cares of this world, when our vision of him is clouded, it is no surprise that anxiety rushes in. When Jesus is no longer the foundation and center of our lives, something or many things take his place. But whatever that is, whatever that is for you, it cannot hold the weight of the world. In In another life, I was in law school. And for those of you who have gone through it, you know that it is extremely stressful and competitive. At many law schools, your first year, or what is called your 1L year, can determine everything. Because as your 2L year begins in the fall, law firms will recruit students for their summer internships based on their 1L grades. And your summer internship in your 2L year will often lead directly to your first job after graduation. So in a weird way, your grades don't really matter all that much in your second and third year. That's great if you do well in your first year, but in some ways it can feel like your fate is sealed if you do poorly. Not only that, law school is extremely expensive, and so if you don't do well, you often won't get that high-paying job that will help you pay off your debt. So in this intense pressure cooker environment where the stakes were extremely high, I saw what it was like when someone other than Jesus had to hold the weight of the world. Now, full disclosure, I left in my first semester to pursue vocational ministry and to become a pastor, but I kept in close touch with some of my Christian friends that I made in law school. And as we met up, they would tell me about how some of our other friends were doing, especially as the first semester grades came in and the second semester grades came in but my heart broke as I heard how some of our friends who didn't know Jesus, had only themselves to depend on, were completely crushed. They were sunk into the depths when they didn't do well. And this is not to say that my Christian friends didn't battle anxiety when they didn't do well, but the difference was stark. For one group of friends, they had only themselves to hold the full weight of their present failure uncertainty about future job prospects with no assurance that their life, their career, their financial future would work out for itself. But for my Christian friends, they could turn to Jesus and the promises that he provides to work all things for good, to trust in his faithfulness, his power, and his care. Are you anxious and troubled about many things? Have you turned away from Jesus? Are you depending on yourself, to carry the weight of life. If so, you are living a life distracted by many matters, but there is another way to live. There is another way to live. There is a better way. And that brings me to my second and final point. The alternative is a life focused on what really matters. A life focused on what really matters. In verse 41, Jesus gently exposes Martha's heart, a heart distracted by many matters. And in contrast to the many things that she is troubled and anxious about, he tells her in verse verse 42, but one thing is necessary. For a disciple of Christ, for someone who follows Jesus, there's one thing that should capture our attention. One thing that we should focus on that really matters And what is this one necessary thing? As if if anticipating Martha's follow-up question, he says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The one necessary thing is also the good portion that Mary has chosen. And what has Mary chosen to do? If you go back up to verse 39, she has chosen to sit at the Lord's feet and to listen to his teaching." There are a thousand different things that can capture our attention every day. A thousand concerns assault us in daily life. Don't you wish someone would just tell you what is most important? What should we focus on? What should be our number one priority? Well, we have it here in our text. It's sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teaching. It's sustaining ourselves on his word. This story takes place in a context of a meal, or at least preparing a meal. And Jesus himself says that Mary has chosen the good portion, again, leading us to think of food. I know we have the potluck in just a moment. And is it not fitting that in Deuteronomy 8.3, we are told, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Our world today is steeped in materialism. And I don't mean just materialism in the sense of acquiring a lot of stuff, though that's a problem too. The lie of materialism is that what we see before us, the physical, tangible world, is all that is and that's all that matters. And because of this, we are starving. Our deepest needs are actually spiritual. Our souls are starving. People are craving for meaning, purpose, something deeper, and ultimately to know God, whether they know it or not. And God is not ultimately known through a mystical experience, but through his words. He talks to us, he speaks to us, and he gives us words of life, of goodness, and those words feed our souls. They give us strength, meaning, clarity, purpose, and hope. And in his wisdom, his words no longer come from a high mountain covered by thunder and lightning, or even from the second person of this three-person God who walked the land of Israel more than 2,000 years ago, whose name Jesus. But the wholeness and the fullness of the bread that will sustain us has been written down in the scriptures of the old and the New Testament. It's in your Bible. Now, reading, but this is ultimately not a, hey, just read your Bible and you're good type of sermon. Reading your Bible is not necessarily the same as listening to Jesus' word, but it's not less. It has to be our starting point. But choosing the good portion, portion, the one thing necessary, is not just Bible reading. We can even turn that act into a distraction, just like Martha did with her serving. To get at the heart of what it means to choose the good portion, we turn to another Old Testament text, which we actually referenced in our call to worship. Psalm 73, verses 25 through 26, and also part of verse 28, which says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But for me, it is good to be near God. Mary not only listened to Jesus' teaching, but she sat at his feet. It was a posture of learning, but also of worship, a heartfelt desire to be near to him, to be in his presence, and to hear his words. The psalmist also has the same desire for God. He recognizes that God is his portion. It's his soul satisfaction. And to be near God is goodness itself. To choose the good portion is to be near Jesus, his presence and his word, which are not easily separated. As I mentioned at the beginning, if your identity is a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus, this is your priority. This is the one necessary thing that your life needs to be focused on. Will you choose the good and necessary portion? Now, some of you may hear this message, and you may think that's too simplistic or that's naive. Focusing on Jesus when there are so many plates to spin, so many balls to juggle, won't actually help me. That's what pastors say because they don't understand real life. My response to you first is, have you tried it? Have you you tried making Jesus your priority? And if you have, have you persevered in it? And beyond that, should we doubt the wisdom of God when he tells us this is the one and necessary thing? In a crazy, busy, anxious, as well as a success, results, and goal-oriented world, to direct our attention to Jesus, to focus on our relationship with him, To spend time in his presence, listening to his word can seem, honestly, I'll say it, stupid. And it's no different even for those in vocational ministry, such as myself, like pastors. For me, spending unhurried time with God, reading and listening to his word, basking in his presence can seem like a complete waste of time when there are emails to send out, people to meet with, lessons and sermons to write, But as 1 Corinthians 1.25 tells us, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Jesus conquered sin and death not through a military victory, but through through a supreme act of weakness by dying on a cross. And a life focused on what really matters can transform our hearts from being troubled and anxious to being at peace. So don't despise God's simple solution to what seems like a complicated problem. He calls us to a childlike faith that is wiser than our jaded and worldly outlook on life. He calls us to choose the good portion, to choose Him, our daily bread, our soul's satisfaction that came at great cost through Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection from the grave. For only through Him are we even able to sit at His feet and listen to his words. So the call is to turn from our distractions and focus on Christ as your portion, as your all in all. John Nolan, a Bible scholar, in reflecting on this passage, says it well. Quote, Allowed its own way, life in the world with its multiple concerns captures us and causes us to be stressed and fragmented. Attention to the word of God supplies an integrating center, and makes possible a singleness of vision. I'll close with this wonderful illustration from John Piper on what it means to have a life focused on what really matters. John Piper says this, I have a picture in my mind of the majesty of Christ, like the sun at the center of the solar system of your life. The massive sun, 333,000 times the mass of the earth, holds all the planets in orbit, even little Pluto, 3.6 billion miles away. So it is with the supremacy of Christ in your life. All the planets in your life, your commitments, your beliefs, your aspirations, your dreams, your attitude, your convictions, your habits and disciplines, your solitude and relationships, your labor and leisure, your thinking and feeling, all the planets of your life are held in orbit by the greatness and gravity and blazing brightness of the supremacy of Jesus Christ at the center of your life. And if he ceases to be the bright, blazing, satisfying beauty at the center of your life, The planets will fly into confusion, and a hundred things will be out of control, and sooner or later they will crash into destruction. So, friends, King's Church, pay attention to Jesus. Make him the center, the focus of your life. He is the one thing necessary and the good portion. Let's pray. Our Father God, we need you. Apart from you, our lives will fly into confusion. We need you at the center. And we thank you that even if we have been distracted, even if we have turned away from you, even if our planets are spinning out of orbit, you offer grace, you offer forgiveness. Through Jesus, we can return to you. So lead us to repentance today. Help us to repent of our distracted life, our anxious life, and help us to trust your word, trust in you, and to find the goodness and the beauty of Jesus' presence and his words. Give us you. We need you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.